and welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Aid, Ego, and Us. I'm Shreya. And I'm Julia. And as the year comes to an end, we're introducing two new segments, both of which we think you guys will enjoy. Today's episode will be about musk, murder, morals, and meaning. We'll start off with our new segment, Who's That?, which will be all about Elon Musk, before going into our second new segment, Behind Bars, about the murder of Polly Kloss. Before ending off with a food for thought and would you rather... Uh, So let's get into the episode. So as you may have heard, Elon Musk is the 2021 Times Person of the Year. So I thought that it would be a good idea to start our biography segment, Who's That, for this occasion. The only logical way to start this is from when Elon was born. He was born on June 28, 1971, in South Africa. From a young age, he was interested in inventions and computers. He taught himself how to code, and at the age of 12, he sold his first software. It was a game called Blastar. Elon's mother is Mae Musk, a Canadian model, and his father, Errol Musk, is a wealthy engineer. Elon's parents divorced when he was 10. When Elon was 17 years old, he moved to Canada to avoid the mandatory service in the South African military and attended Queen's University. In 1992, Elon left Canada to study business and physics at the University of Pennsylvania. He then went to Stanford, which he left in two days to take advantage of the internet boom. That's when he launched his first company, Zip2 Corporation. This was in uh, 1995. His other companies include PayPal and, of course, Tesla and SpaceX. SpaceX launched Falcon 9 in 2010, which we discussed in a previous episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet, we recommend that you do. Elon earned his first billion dollars in 2002, and in January 2021, just earlier this year, he surpassed Jeff Bezos for the wealthiest man in the world. That's impressive. Uh, There's no doubt that Elon Musk is one of the most successful people in the world. But it's worth mentioning that he also suffered from many losses. From contracting malaria to crashing his newly bought McLaren, he remained persistent and strong. Even spaceship and Tesla problems didn't stop him, and the rest is history. Uh, On top of all that, he's also one of the most funniest people on Twitter, so there's that. To me, Elon Musk is such an inspiration. Um, There is this internship that I was applying to. um, I don't... Uh, it's not an internship. It's like a program, a, like a summer program at Disney. And for one of my essays, I actually said that Elon Musk was my like celebrity uh, inspiration. And I wrote about how how many losses he's had and how he suppressed them. So, guys, Elon Musk is truly, truly inspiring. Um, so that's all for who's that. Let's move on to behind bars with Julia. Welcome to Behind Bars. This new segment is going to be all about forensic cases. Uh, Today we'll be talking about the 1993 case of Polly Class. And uh, if subjects such as kidnapping or murder are a trigger and or really scare you, I would recommend not listening to the segment. I myself heard it without knowing what I was getting into during my forensics class in school and wasn't able to sleep for a week. Uh, But I have a very active imagination, so don't use my fear as your scale. Uh, This one's going to be a pretty long segment, so to begin, let's set the stage. It's October 1st, 1993, and Class, living in Petaluma, California, with only her mother, is having a sleepover. Polly's two friends, Kate and Jillian, come over. All three girls are 12 years old. 
Polly's mother was having trouble sleeping, so while the girls were dancing and laughing in her the room across the hall, she took her supplements to help her sleep. At around 11 p.m., a man entered Polly's bedroom carrying a knife. He gagged the girls and used the pillowcases to cover their faces, telling them that if they screamed, he would slit their throats. He asked the girls whose house it was, and when they told him, he grabbed Polly and dragged her out of the house by a knife point and uh, put her in his car and drove away. The two girls then freed themselves and ran to wake the mother, who called the Petaluma Police Department, and they then contacted the FBI. All the men left behind, other than the torn pillowcases used to tie the girls, was a palm print on Polly's bed. The print wasn't whole, and they didn't have any suspects to match it yet, but it was all they could find. On the same night Polly's kidnapping, two deputies stopped a car trespassing on private property. Since they were on different radio signals, they didn't hear the sudden commotion of a kidnapping and neglected to check the man's criminal record. They had stopped him because a woman called their apartment saying that they had he had tried to get her to stop and had uh, and help him to pull his car out of the ditch, but obviously she didn't stop. Uh, this was the man who had kidnapped Polly Class, um, but nobody knew it yet. Before asking the woman for help, he had pulled Polly out of his car and hidden her in the woods. The woman drove off to call the police, and when they arrived, they conducted 40 minutes of sobriety tests on him while Polly was still in the woods. Uh, they eventually decided that there was they were doing nothing but annoying a perfectly sober man and help him, helped him to pull the car out of the ditch before sending him on his way. The man left Polly in the woods before circling to come get back to come get her. Uh, since the situation had left him jittery, he decided to end the situation then and there and took Polly back into the woods where he murdered her. Two months later, the owner of the land called in the sheriff because she had found what appeared to be pieces of children's clothing on the floor while taking a walk. What she had found was, in fact, a pair of children's tights and a, pair, a piece of cloth from Polly's pillowcase. Um, but again, they didn't know that it was from her pillowcase yet. Um, and this was in the same relative area where the car was stopped. Making that connection, the authorities found the man, Richard Allen Davis, and had him arrested but couldn't convict him based on the information they had. He sat in jail and they continued investigating until they were able to match the cloth to Polly's pillowcase and Davis's prints to the one found in the bedroom. The case caused a lot of commotion in the town and everybody now knew who had killed Polly Class, except Davis didn't know that everybody knew. So a friend went in to see Davis and warned him that they already knew what he had done. So Davis confessed to the authorities that he had murdered Polly. Uh, he told the authorities where to find her body, which he had buried in a shallow grave 30 miles from Petaluma. And due to the state of her body, authorities concluded that Polly had been strangled and, uh, trigger warning, likely raped. Although the police that had inspected him in the night the car was stopped neglected to check his criminal record, Davis had, in fact, been in prison twice before for burglary, robbing, attempted rape, and kidnapping. On the night he was wandering Polly's neighborhood, he had been going to visit his mother who lived in Petaluma, but ended up intoxicated. He drove by Polly's house as the girls were being dropped off and randomly selected them as a target. Due to his previously established habits, he already had items in his car, like zip ties, uh, and so he waited until dark and snuck in through an already open window, and Polly's mother was obviously knocked out on her supplements. According to Davis, he had been blanked out for half the night and didn't remember all of the events. Um, basically, he re-woke up after trespassing. Uh, he kidnapped her, was lucid for all of that, but didn't really process the entire car ride, according 
to him. Uh, there were other factors of the case that were part of the reason it took so long to find Polly. Obviously, this was a case of stranger abduction, which made it 10 times more difficult to pin down suspects. Uh, Polly's father was immediately ruled out as a suspect and helped to conduct the investigation. Setback number two was when her father received multiple calls from a young girl asking for help. Um, and so the second time that they called, the police traced back the call, but it led to the home of a girl pretending to be Polly because she was dared to by her classmates. Um, there was also the fact that the only description of the man they had came from the two frightened young girls who were also in the room. And another more accurate description was taken a few weeks later when the girls had calmed down, but it had been weeks and Polly was already dead. And the last sec setback was that multiple neighbors had noticed the man, but didn't say anything. There were young boys playing in the street at night and saw him standing in Polly's yard, and young men living in a nearby house looked out their window and saw someone at Polly's back door, but again, none of these people called the police despite their suspicions. When the case was brought to court, Davis was found guilty of kidnapping, murder, and a lewd act on a child. He was sentenced to death from lethal injection and remains on death roll in San Quentin, California. Polly's case, which was a huge factor in establishing the three-strike law in rule in California, um, and it basically states that after three felonies, you are sentenced to the death row. So that's all we have on the case of Polly Class today. Um, every time I tell this story or think about it, I get like frightened. Now I'm looking around my room, and it's so scary because there are a lot of things like this that scare you to this degree and you can just say, well, it's not real. It can't actually happen. And you just dismiss your fears, but this is something that really happened and it changed a lot of laws and a lot of the way people behave. So yeah, things like this scare me, but I had to talk about it. So thank you for listening. Let's move on to would you rather. Okay, moving away from the creepy stories, welcome to Would You Rather. The first Would You Rather question of this episode is, would you rather die in 20 years with no regrets or live to 100 with a lot of regrets? Would you like to go first, Julia? I would love to. Um, so I already established in my head that I would rather live a short and well-lived life by my standards than a long life that just isn't doesn't live up to much i feel like at a certain point you get so old that you're just like waiting to die unless you manage to live out every single day of your life incredibly happily but i feel i don't think that's something i'm capable of so i personally would rather die in 20 years with no regrets um i don't like having regrets like i think too much about these things I, like i i think i would i would and you have a not only do you have a lot of regrets, you have a hundred years to think about all of those regrets. I, I that wouldn't sit right with me. I don't know. I don't know. Shreya, what are your thoughts? So a lot of times I think uh I think of this one thing that I've heard before. I think it was like in a movie or something, and they said, We're here for a good time, not a long time. And I stand by that. That that makes so much sense. I, I feel like that quote made so much of a difference in my life because since then I've like learned to live in the moment and not stress too much about uh, what's going to happen or what did happen you know like I, I think I'd rather so based on that I think I'd rather live the 20 years and enjoy my enjoy those 20 years um than 
live to 100, but you messed up so much. And then you're like, oh, and it's like, what's the point? You know, like, I'd rather be happy than like, live to 100. Like, is that even like a big accomplishment? I feel like that happens to a lot of people. Like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, there's no point in living to 100 if you're not happy. So yeah, basically the same thing Julia said. I think I'd rather just live to 20 and live for an, another 20 years, but enjoy my life without any regrets. Okay, uh, our second would you rather question is, would you rather have people spread a terrible lie about you or have people spread terrible but true tales about you? Uh, I'll go first this time. I think that I'd rather have people spread true things about me, even if they're bad, because I'm, I feel like things that I do, I usually own up to, like, I know when I mess up and, like, I take responsibility and I don't, like, you know, I don't, like, I don't know, I don't blame others most of the time, and I, I take responsibility for my actions, so I think, me, I would be more comfortable with people knowing what things I've done rather than some lies because there have been multiple times where people spread rumors about me which weren't entirely true and it's a horrible place to be and I I just think that I would much rather have like real things about me spread than fake things because that just makes more sense to me. What about you, Julia? I would also rather have true tales be spread just because I, people who make up lies, it's hard to rationalize with them. And I feel like if it were something true, then if I'm being confronted about it, then it'll help me to own up to those actions. If I didn't, obviously, if it's being spread and nobody knows that I didn't own up to it. So I would rather something true and terrible be spread because that I feel like would better me as a person. Yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, those were the only two questions that uh, we had for Would You Rather today. Let's move on to Food for Thought. Welcome to Food for Thought. Today's first question is, would it be easier to live without bravery or without honesty? Shreya, would you like to start us off? Without bravery or without honesty, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Hmm. I feel like to some extent you need to be brave in order to lie because like if you're like scared of things and you lie you're constantly scared of getting caught of lying so I feel like if you were to lie you already have bravery right but does it not also require bravery to be yeah honest? that's literally what I was just about to say because like you could be honest about something that you did and that's scary to admit when you've done something wrong. Huh. I think I think bravery and honesty and dishonesty all go hand in hand. So this is like kind of uh, hard to choose. I think I just say honesty because, yeah, because you, you have to be brave in, our, in order to be honest. So I'll just say honesty. So what about you, Julia? Well, see, this question seemed really simple to me, and now you've confused me. I think that, yeah, yeah, it requires bravery to be honesty, to be to be honest. But to be honest is also brave, so they do go together very well. But I think that you can be honest 
and be afraid at the same time and be brave but lie at the same time and so in my head I'm going to answer the question as would I rather be brave and be a liar or be honest but be afraid to do the things that I want to do um and I think I would rather I would rather be honest and be afraid to do the things that I want to do just because it's easier to have a positive impact on other people's lives that way and if it's just my life that's facing negative impact and at least it's not all these other people other people facing that as well as the fact that i think it's easier to learn oh never mind now i'm now i'm perplexing and i think it's easier to learn honesty than it is to learn bravery so maybe i would rather be brave because i can learn honesty yeah i would rather be brave and learn honesty uh do you have any more thoughts on this question or not really but i do like your answer Thank you. Okay, the next question is, does the meaning of life have to do with other people or is it solely about how you live your life? Um, this question is kind of confusing. I think it's not that without knowing the meaning of life, it's sort of to help us to figure out the meaning of life. Does the meaning of life have to do with how you interact with other people or is it solely about how you live your life, like for you to live happily or for you to make others happy? Um, I personally think it's about both you and other people to do w- w- what you can with your life to make other people happy, but to also live your life to the fullest. And if it's not making other people happy, but it's also not affecting them, like if someone's not happy with the choice that you're making, but it doesn't have any effect on them, then that shouldn't matter. But you should also live your life in pursuit of making other people happy and, and if that person isn't happy with the decision that makes you happy then they aren't living their life to the meaning of life because they're not making you happy so i think that if everybody everybody was constantly making each other happy then we would all be happy but if we're only focusing on making ourselves happy that could lead other people to unhappiness so i think it is about making other people happy I think the meaning of life does have to do with other people, but in order for that to work, all people have to think that way and behave that way. Uh, Shreya, do you have any thoughts? Uh, Yes. So I think I do like your answer, but I also feel like it's more about what you, where you fit in a bigger, like in the grand scheme of things. So it's it's about you, and, but it's also about how you interact with other people, which I think is kind of what you said. Uh, but I think I'm leaning more towards the what you do with other people side. Um, I think the people that you're with uh, and the people that uh, the people that like you has to do a lot with who you are as a person. You, you can find yourself a lot of times looking at the type of friends you have, looking at the people that attract you, looking at the people that are attracted to you, I think can really tell you who you are as a person. I, th- I just think it makes sense. You know, obviously we can't define the meaning of life. I feel like the meaning of life is finding one's purpose, I think. And that's like a very, I could, like talk about it for hours and hours but finding purpose and finding meaning in your life is like I think 
you can't really define it. It's different for every person. So I, we can't really like come to a conclusion right now. Be like, oh, it's definitely about thinking about yourself or it's about how you're with other people. We can't really say that. But I really do think that humans are like prone to socializing and building these relationships. And I feel like that's so, so important. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to say it's uh, what you have to offer to people in your society. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree compl- 100% with everything you said. Um, and I don't, I, I don't feel the need to restate everything you just said, but I do agree with everything that you just said. Um, I think that's all that we have for today, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, see you next time.